Hey, we're here, and uh, we are in the book of Galatians. This is week four, I believe, and we finish up chapter one today, and then we'll, we'll work through the last five chapters up until Lent. Ultimately, we'll take a break for Advent, and then we'll keep going through the book of Galatians. If you are uh, new here, or this is your first time, we are going through this kind of line by line, not necessarily word for word, and so today, it's a great kind of part two to last week. Last week was really this, this, this question, will you live for the approval of man, or will you live from the approval that you already have in Christ? And that question will continue to rise up for us, particularly as we ask a secondary question, because I think there's a great uh, struggle that we all have in suburbia, and it's this, how much do I fit in? Like, how much do I, do I take on the rhythms that my neighbors have? How much, because if you're, if you're a dad or you're a mom with a kid in sports, this hits you at some point. You enter into sports, I did. You enter into sports and you go, no way I'll ever do that, whatever those people are doing. No way. I won't, I won't go do all-stars for softball. That was my thing. Ain't happening. And then you sign up for all-stars. Well, if she plays, she ain't missing on a Sunday. I'll tell you that right now. And then she misses on Sundays. So there's this great kind of tension that we have, particularly as, as parents in the suburbs. How much am I going to fit in here? How much do I assimilate into our culture? How much do I, do I bring the gospel to my neighbors and at the same time kind of separate myself from their rhythms because I am a Christian and maybe they're not? But I think there's a question here. Do I struggle? Do I even have that struggle of fitting in? Do I even ask myself how much is too much or how much is enough? Does my, look, does my life look any different than my neighbors? Um, if the answer is no, if the answer is I really haven't struggled with that, um, I would say that the data probably backs that up. Long ago when I graduated from Dallas Seminary, uh, I did my thesis and my thesis was on, Beek asked me this coming in today, it was kind of interesting, he's like, what, what did you do your master's on? I was like, this is what my thesis was on. It was on the catechism in the early church and so he was like, I don't know what that means and I was like, neither do we and we're English speakers and so uh, catechism is like this, this fancy word of, of education, spiritual, theological education in the church and so um, really like what was that like and what, what did it look like in the early church uh, because because all the data would reveal to us that baptized Christians don't look any different than those that don't go to church at all. At least that's what it was when I was doing my thesis back in, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. And so, um, like, the baptized believers don't look any different than non-Christians. And in fact, uh, Willow Creek up in Chicago, long ago, again, this is maybe 10 years ago, they did a study called Reveal, and that study revealed that though Christians are busy in Christian activities, such as worshiping and serving and going to Bible study, their lives are actually no different than those that aren't. And so my question, I think, for us is, will we live a life of consequence, or will we just try to fit in? See, that's Paul's uh, question for us as he lays out for us his history of his testimony, really his story. Will it be a life of consequence, or will it be a life that simply blends in? Are our spending habits any different? Are our social media posts any different than our neighbor's? Um, our, our, is our, war, our rhythm for work and rest, is that any different? Do our conversations, are they, are they filled with complaining and grumbling or are they filled with mercy and trust and grace? Do we live lives of consequence and question to provoke curiosity 
and our unbelieving neighbors and coworkers and friends? I think this is the question at the heart of our passage today with Paul, because Paul's message was no, was no different than this, this struggle that we have, and yet it was so different than the, the, the culture that they were in that it didn't just provoke curiosity. It didn't just provoke question. His life was one of such consequence that it also provoked a lot of enemies to stand up, to stone him, to kick him out of uh, certain places. When he wrote the book of Galatians, it was after he was, had to be let down a wall in Damascus because his friends heard that they were trying to come and kill him based on this message that we're hearing. And so he had enemies. And I think that for most of us in the suburbs, we're, we're surrounded by environments of comfort. We're surrounded by very well manicured lawns and everything is kind of neat and orderly. And we, we subconsciously start to live for a neat and orderly and comfortable life for many reasons. And yet Paul is gonna drag us into this life of consequence and say to us, not necessarily in Galatians, but particularly in 2 Timothy, when he would say this, if you want to live a godly life, he says this in 3.12, 2 Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Do you, live, do you wanna live a godly life? It will cost you approval. Remember, that was the first thing that we talked about last week with Galatians 1.10. Will I live for the approval of others or will I live from the approval that I have in Christ? If we're going to live godly lives, we will find ourselves persecuted. It's going to happen. It's a promise. We don't want to cling on to that promise from God, but it is a promise that God has given us. It's no different for Paul, right? He came up against this circumcision group, as he calls it in Galatians. And this, is, this was the, the undermining that they had for Paul. At every given turn, they were undermining Paul to say these th types of things. And you start to see this in the scripture, right? The apostleship, his apostleship, Paul's apostleship, well, he got that from Peter and from James. He's a secondary apostle. You see that in verse one of this book, that Paul, an apostle, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. This didn't come from James and Peter. They're starting to undermine his credibility, right? They would also say, man, his message is too good to be true. This thing called salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, that is too good to be true. We got to add a little bit of circumcision to that. And for us, we may not identify with that, that idea of adding circumcision. And so we might add a little bit of our own self-righteousness to the righteousness that Christ so gives us. And so how do we do that? We lean and we depend on attendance, on giving, on X, Y, or Z, or even being missional. Ooh, that's who the real Christians are. We start to lean on these things to provide for us a means of, of righteousness apart from Christ. So we, we work to get approval instead of we've been given approval and then we work. That's the gospel. The gospel that doesn't come from man is that we cannot reach God based on our own good works, but instead he has come to earth and then given us a new identity so that we might want to work and do good deeds. His message was, was too good to be true. Oh, by the way, he's also a people pleaser because this idea of circumcision, he didn't really want to upset you. I mean, after all, it's a hard word to tell someone, you know what, Jesus is good. Also, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to be circumcised. So all the adult men, we're going to have a little circumcision party at the end of this, and we're going to go that route. No, we're not doing that? That's not like what we're doing after this? That's what's being said in the early church in the churches in Galatia. 
And they're saying, look, you know, Paul didn't want to disappoint you guys, okay? That's why he hid this idea of circumcision from you. He didn't want to disappoint you. He's a people pleaser. That's why in Galatians 1.10, Paul dramatically says, for am I now seeking the approval of men after I've just sent those false teachers to hell? Am I now seeking the approval of men? If I were, I would not be trying to please men. I would not be a servant of Christ. So through today's passage, Paul is going to challenge us. Will we live a life that looks like everyone else around us or will we risk it? Will we realize that when we we stand up for Christ, when we live as adopted sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, based on the blood of the Lamb, when we do that, when we start to preach that gospel, live that way with those rhythms of saying, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that because I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, and you get those looks or you get that, 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 that rejection or whatever comes with how you live. We live in such a way. We blend in or we live a life of consequence. So as Paul leads us in Galatians, let's look at, let's look at what a life of consequence may look like, right? Consequential lives are not from man or for man. So we build on last week's sermon that asked the question, will we live a life that is for the approval of man or from the approval we have in Christ? And Paul continues to defend his reputation in verse 11. Let's look. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what they're saying here is that like Paul, you know, he's got an apostleship, but he was taught by Peter and by James and the other apostles. Therefore, it's a secondary apostleship. It's not as good as Peter and James. And oh, by the way, this whole idea that that the gospel is free, that you don't have to work for it, James and Peter, they would never sign off on this kind of gospel. That's what's behind the scenes. So he said, no, this this gospel didn't come from humans. My apostleship didn't come from James or Peter or anyone else. And instead... It comes from Jesus himself. So we look at that and we think, okay, what does that mean that it came not from man, but it came from someone else? Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter nine. This is the apostleship that Paul is talking about. This is the gospel that he received, uh, not from man, but from God himself. So I want, you to, I want you to just kind of join me here in first century uh, Israel, as we think about our new faith as Galatians, we've heard about this guy named Paul. We've, 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 he's come in, he's planted these churches, this false gospel starting to take root. But before all that, there's a guy named Saul. And he has gotten so zealous against Christians and for the law of Moses. I want you to hear this. He is zealous for the law of Moses, for the the first five books of the Bible. So zealous that he would have had them memorized. Memorized, not just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's a lot of words to memorize. Right? That's a man that is zealous for the law of Moses. He's so zealous that we find him in Acts chapter 9 doing this. He so hates anything other than, than the law of Moses that he's doing this. As he passed by, he saw a blo- uh, uh, Oh, that's John 9. That's incorrect. That's incorrect. I could have just turned there, but no, I put my bookmark in the wrong place. It's like there's not any red letters, but there are actually. Acts chapter 9. If you didn't get there, now you have the extra time. Here we go. 
But Saul, still breathing the threats and murder, murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Why? So that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that would be you and me. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's ready to go. He's ready to go with thoughts of murder. If they don't come peaceably, we'll take them out. Men or women, and probably children too. We don't know. But that's, that's what's in him. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and fa- falling to the ground, he heard a voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, well, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you just imagine yourself riding there along with Saul? You're ready to go take out Christians by any means necessary. And all of a sudden, a bright light blinds Paul, knocks him off of his horse, or Saul at the time. And you hear this voice, but you can't see what's going on. See, in real time, this gospel that didn't come from man, that actually came from Jesus himself, that was a real experience for Paul. It changed his life dramatically. And we hear that and we go, man, that is, you've heard the the expression, a road to Damascus experience? Like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, my salvation wasn't a road to Damascus experience. Paul is going to tell us, yes, it was. Yes, it was. You were dramatically changed exactly like Paul, follow with me here, because this is exactly what he's saying. In, in, uh, get back to Galatians 1.15. Look at what he's saying now. Look, this is the gospel that I received, not from humans, but from God himself, from Jesus himself. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart, I'm on my way to, to murder and jail Christians, but when he who set me apart from before I was born... What did he do? He called me by grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. He's on his way to murder people and God intervenes by his grace, something that he had set out way before the foundations of the earth and in real time, Paul gets changed. And what Paul is inviting us into is not to distance ourselves from our brother Paul, the apostle Paul, but to lean into a common experience because just like Paul, you too were set apart. If you're a Christian, you too were set apart from before you were born, from before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1 would say. I'll just read it. I want you to lean into this. You've got to lean into this because this is the gospel that Paul is preaching to us today. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What is that? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy, that's perfect, blameless, perfect again before him. How did we become uh, perfect before God? By God's choosing of us. So the prayer that we prayed and the baptism that we get baptized in and the dedications that we dedicate, yes, they mean something, but they do not 
gain approval from God. That's religion. That's the false gospel that Paul is coming and inviting us into to go, you know what? That's anathema to me. But instead, we would respond because of God's grace that he called us. Not just that he chose us, but that he also called us. Like Paul, you were called by his grace, it says in Galatians 1, chapter 15. Or Galatians 1, verse 15, right? He called us by his grace. It's a spiritual call for us to come out of the grave and into glory with Christ. Romans 8 would say this, and we know we, this is like one of your favorites, but it's rich. It's rich in theology. And we know, Romans 8, 28 through 30, we know that for those who, who love God, all things work together for good. Love it. Love that everything works together for my good. For those who are called according to his purposes, and it continues on in 29. For those whom he foreknew, knew beforehand, he also predestined to be conformed. He didn't just get predestined to be justified, but also conformed or sanctified into the image of his son. So that, in order that, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined long ago, he also called. This is the calling, that, 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 that this revelation that Acts 9 is, is expressing for us. And those whom he called, he also justified. He made you right with his father by his perfect blood. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense word for a future event that we one day will not just be theologically made right and perfect, but one day we'll be glorified with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. To God, it's past tense, and yet for us, we can't wait to walk and to lean into that, that if we're stumbling and bumbling in our spiritual life, there's good news that those whom he called, he's also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. And so all those failures and all those struggles are worth it because you're becoming like Jesus. Like Paul, God was pleased to reveal his son to you. It says in Galatians 1, you only saw what you saw. If you're a Christian, you only saw what you saw because God gave you the eyes to see it. There were other people on that road to Damascus. The soldiers that were with Paul, he didn't go there by himself. In Acts chapter 9, verse 7, you don't have to turn there, it's going to come up, I think, or at least I'll reference it. The men who were traveling with Paul stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Wasn't revealed to them. Same experience. They're sitting right next to Paul and they don't get it. Why? Why didn't your sister get it? Why didn't your brother get it? Why does one kid get it and one kid doesn't? Why does, why does my dad get it and my mom doesn't? Because, because God hasn't revealed it to them. And so we pray and we plead with God that he would reveal it to them. Not that they would get it. Not that they would become more educated. Because now all of a sudden, for those of us that are Christians, we've got non-believing people around us, we can't do anything. Instead, we'd be faithful to preach the gospel to them and let God bring them into the kingdom. And we plead with him. We're dependent on him. We can't do it. We can't fix it. It's a spiritual problem, a human spiritual problem that we humans cannot fix. Otherwise, if we could, Jesus came and died for nothing. But he didn't. He came and he revealed. He was pleased to reveal. And so like Paul, we're in this story on the road to Damascus. And oh, we like to stop there. We like to distance ourselves from Paul. Verse 16 of Galatians 1. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that. Why did God reveal himself to you? To bring you into the kingdom? Yes. To change you from 
Darkness to light, yes. Deaf to hearing, yes. Blind to sight, yes. Verse 16, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him to the Gentiles. But just like Paul, we were set apart, we were chosen before the foundation of the world, we were called by name. Lazarus, come out of the grave. Troy, come out of the grave. We were called. He was pleased to reveal his son to us so that we might preach. Now don't get caught up on the word preach. Most of us think that that's somebody on stage with a microphone. The words here are, he called you by the gospel so that you will gospel others. The noun gospel gets turned into a verb. He called you by the good news so that you would good news others. That you would bring good news to other people. And so I ask you this question as we continue on. Like, what is your story? Have you distanced yourself from people like Paul and said, man, that's a radical transformation. Friends, if you're a Christian, you're a miracle. You're a walking miracle. God intervened in your life and did something supernatural to take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. And then Ezekiel would continue to say, and then causes you to obey his commands by his spirit. That's a miracle, y'all. We can't downplay that and be like, oh, I don't know, I'm just not really worthy or able or capable or equipped. And after all, this is bad timing. And you know, I've just had a really bad day and a long day after that. And after, you know, the Texans are on, I just really don't like doing that either. Oh man, there's a, there's a miracle that's breaking out in our hearts and hopefully into our neighborhoods. But have you distanced yourself from guys like Paul and Peter because you're your story doesn't matter. You've, you've silenced yourself because you don't think your story matters. And I just say, like, you may have not had a road to Damascus experience outwardly, but Paul reminds us that inwardly we all have if we're believers. So if you don't lay hold of this gospel, this, you really haven't done anything to earn the affection of Christ. If you haven't really leaned into this, you are two things. Number one, in danger of believing a false gospel. I want you to hear that. You are in danger of believing in a false gospel if you stand before God, if you think you stand before God because of anything that you did. Even if it's a prayer, even if it's really good, righteous things, because after all, Paul was zealous for the law of Moses. Philippians 3 would say that he was blameless according to the law. If there's any guy that would deserve to be in heaven by his own good works, it might be Paul. And Paul would say, I consider that all rubbish. Scubala, which I can't say in English. But rubbish. Dung, so to speak. We are in danger of believing a different gospel. And that's the first like danger. And then the other danger is that we would be silent if we don't understand what God has done for us and therefore called us to do. Now this gospel, if a consequential life is not from man or, from, uh, or for man, then we also have to understand that consequential lives happen and are changed lives. If you want to live a consequential life, which I do, a life that, yes, will provide enemies, but also will provide fellowship with Christ in ways that I w could never imagine, Paul shows us that learning and sharing your story matters. Do you know your story? Can you see how God has been using all even the painful things in your life to bring a story to bring to others? 
Can you see how God has been redeeming and, and authoring some things in your life to bring you to the cross so that you might bring others to that same cross where you found mercy and forgiveness and a new identity? For Paul, he was a zealous man, zealous for the law of God. And in 1.13, he says this about his former life. You can't find anyone more zealous in 1.13 and 14. For you have heard, look at this life change, right? You've heard of my former life in Judaism. And he's assuming that now you've heard of his current life in Christ. Former life in Judaism. What did he do? He persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14 would say this. It's in here somewhere, right after 13, I presume. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was zealous. I would imagine that most of us want passion in life, right? We want, we want zeal. But let us not just pray for zeal and passion. Let us pray for zeal and passion for the right thing. There's only one thing worse than being not being passionate and that is not being passionate for the Lord, putting your passions and zeal in other things. So I would ask you, and then Beek's gonna come up in just a second to share a little bit, but I would ask you, what is the tradition of your fathers? What is the tradition of your fathers, the tradition that you grew up in, and, and is that a thing that points you to being passionate about Christ? Because for Paul, he had at least three years where he's reasoning and working through community and solitude, both things working together to help him understand, man, what am I to be zealous for? What am I to be passionate about? Because before, I was passionate about the law of Moses, and that actually brought me to murder people. And now, I want to be passionate for Jesus. What will that cause me to do? Later on in Galatians, he would say that, man, the only thing that matters is faith working its way out in love. We've gone from a murderer to an unbelievable lover of people. What happened? He got out from underneath the traditions of his fathers and his mothers, or his mother. For, for some of us, the tradition of our father is a Christianity without Christ. For some of us, the tradition of our fathers is a church without gospel. It's attendance without transformation. It is adding something and anything to Jesus. Or if it's not anything any, to do with the church, maybe it's outside of the church. For me, the tradition of my father probably would have been to go out, make sure you make as much money as possible so that you can go and blow it all on a really good time. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I grew up in. So a lot of success, a lot of entrepreneurship, but also a lot of fun. And that was, that was fun tradition of my father. And so at some point, you got to shirk all that off so that I can have a zealousness and a passion for the Lord. So for me, it was for working. It was education. It was making it. Or for some of us, it's even mothering really well. Or keeping your family together. Even those things, if you are not honoring Christ at the center, it matters not. See, Paul's uh, zeal didn't change in the kingdom he became zealous then for the glory of God and not the glory of himself. And so to illustrate this, I think there's probably no one better, actually there is no one better in, our, in this room that could help us understand, number one, what does persecution look like? We think persecution is um, like someone not answering a text. Not so much. 
Uh, and so, so Beek, coming from South Asia, is going to share with us a little bit about what his persecution, his story, his former life was like, even his dad's former life was like, and then maybe we'll be able to get out of here before 12.30 or so. Uh, Beek, come up. Tell us about what we talked about with your dad and what that was like growing up and what the Lord did. Yeah. So, in 2019... Yeah, 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 give it to me. 15 August 1988, I have accepted Lord Jesus Christ as a Lord, as my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And my family was totally the Hindu family. And uh, not only that, uh, just uh, the normal Hindu family, but it's a strong Hindu family. And in my house, there was a temple. We used to worship there um, in the morning and evening. And if we do not do the worship each every day, and in the twice in a year, if we do not sacrifice, then there may be, be somebody will be dying or some, somebody can be getting sickness or something like that it happened. Because in the last days, uh, once we did not sacrifice in our temple. So I lost my elder brother due to we did not sacrifice. Such a, in such a family we have come, I have come up and I was studying in the standard 10th and by the time I fall and shake. And it was normal, but day to day, every day it was increasing, increasing my the disease and my father and mother, they took me in the medical, but there is a, a doctor's hate, it's a normal. But it was uh, not going down or uh, I'm not getting healings, but it was increasing day to day, every day. So again, they took me in the good medical, I mean, good medical, big medical, but the result was nothing. So finally, my father and my relatives, my uh, mother, everybody lost their hope that I will be no more in this world. So by the time I was sleeping, uh, even my dad and mom have taken many temples and they have offered Ram's God and hands, many things what Hindu people are supposed to do. And they did it, but the result was nothing. And I was laying down in the porch outside of the, my own house, and one of the pastors have visited to my street, and he saw me, and he asked all about my, my story about the, my mom, and my mom explained everything. And he pastor said that uh, to me, that can you believe Jesus? He can heal you? Then I told, what is this? And how can it be, can be happen? Believing, because my dad have, I have a great experience. My dad have done a lot of things. He have taken me the medical, and he have offered uh, and the hands and God. He have done the sacrifice, many things in order to healing me. And somebody is coming and telling me, can you believe Jesus? Then I said, it may not be. 
But again he said, again he said, then finally I told him, I think I believe that Holy Spirit worked in my heart. So I told him, okay, you pray me. If you pray, if you, uh, if Lord Jesus can heal me, then I can follow him. Then he prayed for me and Lord finally healed me. And my father, mother, everybody have lost that I will be no more. But I am still alive for his glory. And standing in front of you and glorifying you, the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then after, when I just <laughs> started to the, go to the churches, then persecution started in my life. And because, you know, my dad was Hindu and my family is completely the Hindu family. I am alone that accepted Lord Jesus Christ. Then when I started to go, somehow my dad came to know that I am going to the church. And somehow he came to know that on 15th August 19, 1988, I had took baptism. Then he got angry upon me. And many things happened. Maybe later we can talk it. And then after, even I have to throw out from my family. And even then after I struggled a lot. Then I went in the Bible college. I was writing down every day. I was praying for my dad and my family and sending to the letters to my dad. And finally, he came to another. Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he, he was beating me. He was persecuting me. Even all the people who are in the, my street people, when my dad came to know, all people, all my street, I mean neighborhood, they become a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then suddenly 2007 and 8, persecution took place. My dad was... If I say, he was the persecutor, he, I'm his son, he wished to beat me. And he threw out me from his family. But on 2007 and 8, he died for the Lord. Mm. He propagated the gospel in, uh, soon after his reaching. Maybe you can talk a lot. So please pray for me. I said, the pastor says, so... Our God is alive. Yeah. He is still alive. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Thank you, Big. Awesome. So, uh, just so you catch all that, um, his brother died because um, they didn't offer the right sacrifices or enough sacrifices. At least that was their worldview. Um, and so you can see how uh, religion of all sorts, Hinduism, Judaism, even somehow cultural Christianity, if we try to um, do things like that, offer sacrifices unto God so that we get something from him, that's something that God is, is calling out and all of us to say, that doesn't belong with Christ. Now you can also see this beautiful transformative power of a life that's lived for the glory of God and not for ourselves. That, that Beak would get saved, that this pastor would just somehow be in the neighborhood preaching the gospel to literally his neighbors and there's Beak who's sick and dying on the front porch. And he says, if you would believe, he'll heal you. He says, I don't think that. No, 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 it's true. If you believe, he'll heal you. And then he believes and he gets healed. And that 
seed grows. That, that, that faithful seed that that pastor tossed out on good soil. He didn't know if it was good or if it was rocky or what kind of soil it was, but that pastor sowed the seed and all of a sudden that little seed starts to bear and multiply fruit. In Beak's life, his dad gets saved. All of a sudden the, the village becomes a believing village, no longer Hindu, no longer going to those temples, which does cause some economic problems for the Christians in India. That all of a sudden they get saved and then because of all the problems that they're having, they rise up and they persecute the church. And Beek's dad, who once persecuted Beek before he was a believer, ends up being persecuted himself and his life gets taken from him for the sake of the gospel. And we say, praise God and amen. And oh my gosh, how much pain and difficulty it is to live a faithful life outside of Richmond, Sugarland, Katy. This is re real life, it's just not here. And so let's finish with this. If we're gonna live a life of consequence, we have to be a people that will multiply. That we live a life of question that provokes curiosity so that in verses 23 and 24, the Bible says this, like, well, let me read. Let me just read it. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw no, none other, none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before our God, I do not like. And here, Paul's desperation. In verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, probably Antioch, where, the, where in, in, in Acts uh, uh, chapters 13 and 14, he, he plants a church there. That becomes his, his sending place. And I was still unknown to the person, in person to the churches of Judea, down in Jerusalem, that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Consequential lives come to the point where we're going to either live for the approval of man or realize we're going to get persecuted along the way. And it starts with when King Jesus says to go do something, we go do it. I would imagine if there's anybody that could have said no to Jesus, based on his history, it would have been Paul. Like, why not send me to the Jews, Jesus? I've got the first five books memorized. Why not send me to my own people, the people that I know their traditions, I can speak their language, but somehow in God's wisdom says, no, no, I don't want you to go to the people that you know, I want you to go to the Gentiles to the nations, to the Greeks, and the people, I mean, all the Romans, all the people that you've shunned throughout your life, go to them. I would imagine that he could have said no, but he didn't, and were the result of his faithfulness. But what happens when someone says no? Have you ever been on someone's no list? I've been on someone's no list. When I became a believer in, uh, at A&M, I remember, um, see, I thought I was a Christian, so I told others I was a Christian. And then this guy tried to like disciple me and I didn't want to have anything to do with that because I wasn't a Christian. And then when I actually became a Christian, like the Lord actually saved me, I remember seeing him for the first time at the rec center, can still remember it in my mind. I'm walking down the ramp down towards the weight room where I once visited I remember going down that ramp and I remember seeing my buddy come up the ramp and I'm like, I go, Blake, you'll never guess what happened. Like, I'm a believer. And what did he do? Never made eye contact with me. Just kept rolling along. 
I was on his no list. Not him. I don't trust that dude. He hurt me. And it gave me a bad taste for what Christians were. As a new believer, I was like, dude, I ain't hanging out with Christians. They're lame. They're gonna do that. I'm not a part of that. And so there's this, all of a sudden, there's this consequence that I wanna live that someone else has put me on their no list, unlike the pastor with Beak. There was a no list. I wonder if we have a no list for others and who might be watching us and who we might be wounding without, wound, without knowing it or pushing aside without knowing it. Because there was another experience that I had after all that that I spoke at a friend of mine's um, rehearsal dinner. He was a new Christian. He grew up Muslim. The Lord revealed himself to my friend, Salim, in a dream. All right, we don't have time for the story, but I'm gonna tell it anyways because you, you gotta hear this. So Salim is a Muslim, practicing Muslim growing up. He goes to sleep one night. He's in a, in a dream. He's, he's in a dark room. The Lord Jesus, he knows it's Jesus. I don't know. He's cold. My friend Salim is cold. Jesus comes into his bedroom, comes into him. Jesus, or Salim leans up on his bed, sitting on his bed, looking up at Jesus. He knows it's him. Jesus opens up his heart, takes out his heart. It's, it's black. It's gooey. It's terrible. And Jesus dumps it out. And then he puts his heart back into Salim and Salim washes over with warmth. And he knows that it is the Lord Jesus and he stands up and in his dream he wakes up immediately and he goes, holy moly, Jesus is real. This is a real thing. He's a real person and salvation just happened. He loses his family. He's still on the outs with his family. But when I spoke at his rehearsal dinner, I remember standing up and I remember knowing that his family was a Muslim family. And we're saying, hey, like everybody has a little taste of Salim, right? But for me, Salim is this for me. And I shared the gospel at this rehearsal dinner where it was very Muslim. And I had some friends there from high school because Salim was a friend of mine from high school. And this girl came up to me afterwards. Her name is Katie Loop. And she like rushes up to me and she goes, hey, 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 what happened to you? I know you. I remember who you were. What happened? And I just remember being like, man, like the Lord saved me. The Lord saved me, and she was like, praise God. Like, I can't believe it, praise God. And I was like, I can't believe it either. <laughs> Not something that I did. Look, like if we're gonna multiply, we gotta lean into this gospel that God has selected us before the foundation of the world, not just for our own justification, but also to be glorified. And along the way, we would magnify him by multiplying ourselves into our neighborhoods, into the networks, and into the nations. Will we do this, church? Will we just gather and then gather information and then go home? What will our lives be? The book of Galatians, Paul's life is calling out to us. The Holy Spirit is calling out to us. Will we live a life where other people have never heard us and go, yeah, I've heard of that guy. I've heard of that guy. You've talked about them before. Wonder what kind of Jesus they're following. They heard about me and they glorify God because of me. Will that be our legacy? a life of consequence that God's calling us to. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for giving us a time of, extended time this morning to hear from Beak, to honor you through the preaching of your word and hearing of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would put this in us, deep down, because the gospel does not change us from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so would you make our hearts new as we continue to be renewed, as we um, respond today in song, would you help us be mindful of what your spirit is telling us? 
Would you, would you remind us of how good you are? Would you help us see that you are good amidst unbelievably terrible circumstances like persecution and death and illness and sickness and disappointment, that you haven't left us or deserted us, but that you're working out something better than circumstantial smoothness. But instead, you're working something in us to form us, to conform us, to transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. So we welcome all these circumstances if our goal is to become like Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would maybe call some of us in here. Maybe we are called to go to places like India. Or maybe just like across the street. We had people going down to DePelchin yesterday to go visit with the orphan in our own city didn't have enough dudes to go. But they went. We're faithful. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us identify ourselves with Paul because we want to be identified with Christ. That we would be have a banner over our lives as we respond this morning that we have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Would you help us? Would you just put that in us as we respond through song? In Christ's name, amen.